Richard Radio begins in 3, 2, 1. I start giving on that level so that God would owe me. Whatever you do right now, don't you stop tithing. Harvest responds only to seed, not to prayer. This is not about material wealth. This is about God in his providence orchestrating all of history in order to bring about that which we need more than anything else, and that is to be rescued from God. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. <laughs> Here we go. You be the judge. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Order in the court. This is Wretched Radio. Prepare to play one of America's fastest growing game sensations. You might be a fascist if that's right. Ooh. We're getting called that name a lot these days. How do you know if you've become a fascist? Well, that is what this game is all about. Jimmy, as always, you will represent the tens and tens of people listening to this here wretched radio program. Are you prepared for your most onerous responsibility? I am. I will say you might be a fascist if you, and then I'll fill in the blank, and you tell me if that actually makes you a fascist or not. Okay. All right. You are a fascist. If you believe that boys are boys, Jimmy, does that make you a fascist? Uh, no. Yes, it does. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I read the news. It, trust me, okay. it does. You might be a fascist if you believe girls are girls, Jimmy. Yes. Jim, yes. See, wow, you catch on really <laughs> I, fast, really don't quick. You? <laughs> mm-hmm. You're a fascist if boys and girls are different. True or false, Jimmy? Yes. Well, then you're a fascist. Yeah. You are clearly a fascist. Oh, yeah, yeah. You believe there's a distinct... That is so oppressive and not on the right side of history. We were watching The Crown there on season five, and it's always funny to watch somebody try to put words in the mouth of somebody who lived before. Dangerous territory, that. And the one fellow said, oh, I know. He He was the BBC head. And he said to the upstart who approved the interview between Martin Bashir and Diana, he said, you're on the wrong side of history, John. And I thought he wouldn't have said that. No, that's a new catchphrase. The assumption in that loaded gun is that you're not with the times. You see, we're progressing. And if you're old school, that means you're on the wrong side of history, which basically means everything that predates the very second that we are currently living in is old oppressive, and you're a fascist if you believe it. Jimmy, I got some more for you. Okay, I'm ready. You might be a fascist if you don't want schools keeping secrets from parents. You're a fascist, yes. (laughs) This just makes me gnash my teeth, honestly. Ooh, Mm. who do you people think you are? Oh, I know. You think that you know how to raise our kids. Oh, no, you don't. You might be a fascist if you don't want schools. The G word, because we might not be able to say that word, that you do in the morning when you're getting your hair ready. You have products that begin with the letter G to make yourself more presentable. If you think that that's what the schools are doing, you're a fascist. Jimmy? Mm. Would you happen to be a fascist? Yes. Yep. So is Phil Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> so he's still kicked off. I, I think that was reversed. 
Was it because was it on Twitter? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. Oh, it was. well, then he's back in business, probably. Yeah, I think so. I wonder how we got that done because we got put on a nasty timeout from Facebook once. Huh. Couldn't figure out how to get that reversed. Took a year. Oof. You might be a fascist if you believe in. <laughs> this is so obviously fascist. If you believe in boys and girls sports. Oh, you're definitely a fascist. Oh, if you believe in traditional marriage, fascist. If you believe that history, that there or that 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 history can instruct us in any way, you believe that? Nope, you're a fascist. Yep. I'll tell you the war of words these days. It really is successful. If you want states' rights, you're a fascist. If you don't want the government involved in Healthcare, you're a fascist. Do you want a wall on the border? Fascist. Do you reject multiculturalism, which we should have rejected so long ago? This is why you are seeing so much of what you're seeing. The decolonization of a country. we got to have multiculties. It just doesn't work. How do I know that multiculturalism doesn't work on a national scale? Because it doesn't work on a smaller scale. And if it don't work in this test tube, it ain't going to work out in the big bad world. So let's just say, for instance, your kids inform you, mom and dad, that you've been a fascist and you're on the wrong side of history and they want to be multicultural in the home. So you're a patient parent. And you haven't reached for the wooden spoon yet. And you say, well, tell me, what exactly does that look like? Well, you see, mom and dad, you believe in clean rooms and making your bed. And, well, that's just not our culture. And helping with the dishes after dinner, not a part of our culture. And we've all got different takes on what we should wear, how we should groom our hair. Oh, there's that word that uh, I probably will yeah. get and find for or something. And how would that work out in your home? You would say, mm, sorry, kids. This this can't operate and function with everybody have a, having a different way of thinking the home should be run. And the same thing is true in a country. You don't have a country if you don't have agreement on social norms. And when you bring in the idea... That anybody can believe in speaking English, fine. Not speaking English, not fine. Well, you're going to have problems. Hard work, if you want to, on the dole, that's fine by the government. But you're, you're just going to have problems. And these days, if you reject that, congratulations, you're a fascist. Jimmy, final one. Okay. You don't. Oh, my handwriting. Oh. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You don't want medical professionals castrating boys and giving double mastectomies to confuse girls. Oh, you're definitely a fascist. You're a fascist. Yep. Was reading an interesting article, and this is a part of an ongoing thought process that I think we should have in this culture. Now, you may not agree with all of this I this, tonally. But the title of it, at least, was provocative. Onward Christian Cowards was the name of this from the American Thinker. Shortly after Donald Trump assumed office, this is 2017, he issued an executive order that suspended travel in the United States from seven countries 
and paused most refugee settlements for 120 days. The order was basically temporary, and its goal was to give officials time to improve the security process of vetting those coming from nations that were hotbeds of Islamic terrorism. You say, what does that have to do with how we speak? Do you remember the criticism that was received by that president from evangelicals? How dare you do that? That's unchristian. We welcome the sojourner and the strangers and the aliens. We're opposed to it, and they spoke out publicly. And yet, we now have medical professionals, and apparently the HHS, endorsing and affirming gender surgeries. Hello? Hello? Where are those evangelicals? Where, where is everybody willing to criticize? This particular article, names names, an open letter was headlined by individuals like Tim Keller, Max Lucado, Bill Hybels, Leith Anderson, I know Leith, Ed Stetzer. They were all opposed to this. For his part, they bragged to the Washington Post that this is a surprising list of prominent evangelicals who care enough about this issue to use their leadership platform to speak out. Even when many evangelicals have deep fears and concerns about refugees entering this country. So, you have a group of evangelicals who are willing to say, hey, we want open borders. Where are they when we are affirming mutilation of children? And forget those guys. What about us? I know this is a small thing, but at least it's a thing. Something that we can do. You're in a restaurant. And, and you know the people can hear you talking. Because you're close. Talk. Don't hush tone it. Well, I'll, I'll just tell you later. Don't do it. Hey, did you hear about the genital mutilation that happened at our grade school? And let some sort of righteous indignation be known. It's something that we can do. In this article from the American Thinker, where are all the open letters in the Washington Post and New York Times? Decrying the left's transgenderism craze. Where are these prominent evangelicals? Can't find them. So this article says, I'll ask the question, where are all the hard-hitting PR crusades from professed evangelical thought leaders denouncing the Biden White House for spearheading such a moral atrocity? This is far more horrific. They're getting banned off Twitter. Than not. They're getting banned off of Twitter. That's true. That's true, which is maybe why you don't hear from some of them. The point is, in this time, we need to be wise. We always need to be gentle. We should always be loving. They should never hear hatred in our voice. But it seems we could use some Christian courage. You're being going to be called a fascist for it. Be courageous. Be bold. And be ready to suffer like your Savior suffered. That is what we are called to. This is Wretched Radio. Hey, isn't this groovy? Dozens of crisis pregnancy centers have been vandalized or set on fire because of the Roe v. Wade decision. A preborn center in Buffalo was firebombed. A preborn clinic in Gresham, Oregon was hit with an 
incendiary device, a preborn clinic in Miami, vandalized, and they're receiving bomb threats. In other words, the battle for life is becoming a battle for life. And yet, the preborn centers continue to open. Support organizations like preborn and like your local pregnancy clinic that are unwaveringly and without fear opening again today offering free loving Christ-centered alternatives to these young women. Be part of the solution. Please join the uh, literal battle for life. Preborn.org slash wretched. Preborn.org slash wretched. 2022 has brought incredible growth to Wretched and Gospel Partners Media. We've seen the launch of Transform, their new biblical counseling show. We've also launched Breaking Bread, a new interview resource featuring Todd speaking with people like Phil Johnson, Daryl Harrison, Tim Challies, Justin Peters, Steve Lawson, and more in depth on a variety of topics facing the church today. And while we're ecstatic over these projects and others, nothing means more to us than you. Thanks so much for your ministry. Thank you. Praise God for you guys. Thank you for that. Wretched has encouraged us to share faith and, and get out there and actually do something. That's why we do what we do and we have no plans of slowing down in 2023. And we invite you to join us in our efforts to preach the gospel, equip the saints, and strengthen the local church. Please remember Wrench It as 2022 draws to a close and we begin a new year and new opportunity to share the amazing gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Just visit wretched.org slash donate or text the word wretched to the number 44321. How's inflation been treating you if costs for health insurance are skyrocketing in your home? Would you please visit MediShare.com slash wretched. Affordable biblical health sharing. Christians paying for other Christians' medical bills, which means you don't have to worry where the money is going for mm, bad stuff. Second of all, you can save on average $500 per month. And finally, MediShare, it's the gold standard for healthcare sharing for more than 25 years. It works, and the members, including myself and Mrs. Friel, love it, which is why their customer satisfaction rate is double traditional health insurance. If inflation has got you down, call up the people at MediShare, 844-34-BIBLE or MediShare.com slash wretched. Important dates in Christian history. 1054. Tensions between the East and the West had been brewing for centuries. But when negotiations between Rome and Constantinople went sour, both sides excommunicated each other, and the divide between Catholicism and Orthodoxy remains to this day. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. This is Wretched Radio. Let's dive into the legal system, shall we? The waters are a bit murky these days. Nevertheless, we should be aware of what is happening around the globe against Christians, those who make a claim that but 10 seconds ago would have been affirmed by the majority of culture. Now, you say that somebody who wants to change their gender needs some help. Oh, look out. You could get 10 months in jail. Let's go to Greece, shall we? The single-member misdemeanor court of Athens <laughs> has fined a soccer player 
5,000 euros. So that would be about what, 5,500 bucks, something like that. I think it's just a point off these days. And a 10-month prison sentence. Oh, this man must have done something horrible. Yeah, he quoted the Bible. Genesis 127, specifically, that God created Adam and Eve. And for that, he was deemed a fascist, transphobic, a Neanderthal, and somebody who shouldn't be allowed to speak that religious belief. Here are the details. Retired Greek football legend Vasily Tsiartas, hope I said that right, sir, because he's probably listening to the program. (laughs) In the second of two Facebook posts, opposing a 2017 law that would have lowered the age to legally change one's gender to 15 and remove legal barriers so that kids can get their bodies mutilated with the promise that you'll be happier, which is a never-delivered-upon promise. Why? Because lies never deliver. They just want more. And then you arrive at there, and it's not there, because idols break the hearts of their worshipers, and these kids and adults aren't happy. And speaking of the difference between kids and adults, can we please remember that it is just as, okay, maybe it's more wicked to do that to children than it is to adults, but I've even been hearing some evangelicals say, well, We don't want the kids to be mutilated. But if you're an adult, no, it's wicked. It doesn't matter what age somebody is. They're 48, 18, or 8 years old. That is a wicked, atrocious thing to do to somebody. Do you remember the story last week from Scotland? There's a guy in jail. He thinks he's a girl for the last four years, but now he identifies as a baby. And it appears the Scottish prison system, probably over a legal barrel, because if we don't affirm this guy and provide for his demands and needs, then that might be a technicality that gets him out of here and he strangled his cellmate with shoelaces. We don't want him out there. So what have they done? They've given him diapers, a nook, and they grind up his food because the baby can't eat solid food. But he's got teeth. Don't argue. He thinks he's a baby. Okay. I'm on it, sir. I'll make sure that I ground up the haggis very finely for the baby. I wonder if they burp him. I wonder, do they change his nappy? So This is insanity. So I wonder what they do next when he says babies shouldn't be sent to jail. <laughs> <laughs> I don't identify as, a, as an adult. <laughs> I identify as... A, could I go into... Okay, let's say I were, I were, I was, uh, I were in prison. Let's just imagine, maybe that isn't difficult, but nevertheless, Warden, I just wanted you to know that I identify as innocent. (laughs) I'll be packing up my stuff this afternoon. I've got a few goodbyes, but I expect you to open up the gate and let me out. I identify as, don't argue, Warden, I identify as innocent, therefore I am innocent. It's so preposterous, and when we affirm that, Irrational thinking, whether it is in a child, a teenager, an adult, it it matters to a degree because they're more vulnerable. They don't have things sorted, but neither do the adults who are thinking like this. They're not thinking rightly. Now, this fellow wrote something pretty rough. Think of a Bible verse that maybe said something just as tough. Here's what this soccer fellow from Greece said. 49 years old, by the way. I hope that the first sex changes 
will be made to the children of those who voted for this abomination. Whoa. Do you think of a book in the Bible that actually has that very same sentiment behind it? I'm thinking of Galatians. So you Judaizers, you say that you need to be circumcised in order to become a Christian and go to heaven. Uh Uh-huh. Tell you what, for your wicked abomination that you are trying to impose on people, because remember, this was a purely theological issue, which is worse than any physical or sociological issue. Paul said, tell you what, why don't you just move the scalpel a little bit and just castrate yourselves? Whoa tough talk. Should we be talking that way these days? Well, I do think that we have a variance. There's there's a little breadth here in how we can respond to the world, but certainly there have to be times for such sentiments, and wouldn't this be one of those times? I, I know, I know it could cost you. I get it. It can cost us too. It it can cost everybody these days because the world is bonkers. Everything is an inverted reality. What what used to be looked at as a mental illness is now esteemed as the highest echelon of society. Oh, you're transgender. You're the cream of the crop. What has happened here? We live in an inverted reality. This is woe to those who say evil is good, up is down, black is white. Everything is backwards. And when it manifests itself in barbaric behavior like abortion and transgender surgeries, I think that those things should rise to the level of some righteous indignation, always showing love, never never conveying a sentiment that makes it sound like, we hate you. No, they're the harvest field. But one must ask the question, if I am not indignant about this subject, If we've just been talking about it clinically all the time, it's Tishraden. You have these conversations at your dinner table, and they're just, well, you know, boy, did you see that? Now they, they, an eight year old in a barrel, did you hear the deconversion stories that these people are telling? And it's pretty, like, matter of fact, like, pass the butter. We've got to ask the question have I been infected by our postmodern culture? Have I been influenced? by a permissive secular society where I need to speak in very politically correct terms, I don't think that any of us are immune to that. You are uh, you are an individual who through osmosis, you get the world in you, and so do I. Nobody escaped. I don't care. You put yourself in a cloister, you're going to get it somehow. Somebody will bring it in. Some newspaper will arrive. You're going to get the world's influence. And we've been influenced. And I wonder if that is why we do not hear the righteous ire coming from the Christian church. Stop this barbaric behavior. This guy gave it a go. It looks like the sentence has been suspended. But the fact that he was sentenced for 10 months, prison, and a $5,000 euro fine, so about 5500 bucks, 5600 bucks, depending on what the exchange rate is today, This was from a single-member misdemeanor court of Athens. Whoa. They called punishing his biblical views, the, the organization that brought the suit, they're called the Transgender Support Association, said that punishing his biblical views, quote, particularly important for the transgender community. What do you mean particularly, especially? 
There are things that we don't like that people are saying, but you Christians, we really don't like it. Yikes. That just happened. That's not the first time that this has happened. This is the second time a European court has ruled that biblical values violate the human rights of transgender individuals. 2019, a British court ruled that belief in Genesis 127 and a lack of belief in transgenderism and conscientious objection to transgenderism, in our judgment, are incompatible, get ready for this, with human dignity. Oh, is that how we're positioning this? So if you say to a boy who thinks he's a girl, "Mm, son, we're going to get you plugged in the church, we're going to get some adult males involved in your life, and we're going to walk through this with you, you're violating their human rights. (laughs) Taking a scalpel to their body, pumping them full of more steroids and hormones than well, then a non-free-range chicken, that's, that's dignity, baby. Are you kidding? This is the, Supreme, the British court, the European court determined this. It conflicts with the fundamental rights of others. You mean Christianity does? Yep. The Empowerment Appeal Tribunal ruled that the lower court had erred in saying that the belief in Genesis 127 did not amount to a protected characteristic covered by the freedom of religion secured by the UK's 2010 Equality Act. Christian, nobody knows exactly what tomorrow's going to bring. But if this is any indication, if the lack of a red wave is any sort of barometer to which way the winds are blowing. I'm not sure that is exactly what barometers measure. (sighs) Things are changing. How will we go down? That's the question. This is Wretched Radio. This is Wretched Radio, and I'm Jimmy Hicks. A Florida fourth grader was suspended from elementary school and faces a potential misdemeanor charge of battery after he hugged a school counselor late last month. The counselor claimed in a police report that she turned sideways to give a side hug to the student who put one arm around her shoulder but reached and grabbed her left breast with his hand. In the report, the counselor acknowledges that she removed the student's hand and walked away. The boy's family denies that he inappropriately touched the counselor, yet police were called to the school on reports of an alleged battery, which the young student now faces, though he has not yet been charged. Attorneys for the boy's family say he never touched the counselor inappropriately and that the school did not properly investigate the incident instead suspended him for 10 days, though he insisted he did not touch the counselor inappropriately. Four cities in Texas and five others in Nebraska have approved ballot measures to outlaw nearly all abortions within their jurisdictions. Texas law already prohibits many abortions in its state following the passage of its Heartbeat Act, which bans most abortions after six weeks when a fetal heartbeat is detected. Though the ballot initiative sought to further limit abortion, each community's ballot text is unique, though they emphasize similar actions that declare abortion unlawful, with the exception of the health of the mother. And Disney apparently doesn't care how much money they're losing, they're continuing to go down the path of the woke because they do have that not-so-secret gay agenda that they're pushing. Their newest release on Disney Plus is going to feature a gay romance between two teenagers. 
It's an upcoming, quote, adventure film called Strange World. Well, I'll agree with the title. And it features a gay teen romance, the first in an animated feature produced by Walt Disney Animation Studios. And what started as a very slow sneaking in has evolved very quickly into a main theme into all of their new productions. Before long, it will be the plot of everything Disney produces. Well, we've just reached 8 billion people on the planet, and you can probably guess the reaction that the climate people are having. Whether it's food or water, batteries or gasoline, there will be less to go around as the global population adds another 2.4 billion people by the 2080s. Every single person needs fuel, wood, water, and a place to call home. That's a quote from the AP story about the 8 billion milestone, saying that resources are already stretched to the limit in many countries where populations are expected to soar in the coming decades. And all of this complaining and using climate is nothing but an excuse to advocate for abortion. That's all it is. More Ratchet Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Books of the Bible Lamentations is a book of poems written by Jeremiah after the fall of Jerusalem. They are marked by weeping, woes, and affliction. But even in sorrow, Jeremiah praises God. He proclaims God's justice, cries out to God for mercy, and confesses his faith in God. Lamentations teaches us a godly way to express sorrow and grow in the midst of loss. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Where, oh, where is the outrage? This is Wretched Radio. Perhaps you're saying to yourself, hold the phone there, Henrietta. Well, I would say stop calling me Henrietta, and maybe we should pick up the handset because we actually see outrage modeled by our Savior. And you might argue, no, Jesus was never outraged. Not so fast. He was and we would do well to study those times to ask, when is it appropriate and right for us to be yeah, filled with some fiery indignation? Not, not to be confused with strange fire. I'm just saying there are certain times when we should be hot and bothered in a righteous way without sounding like we hate people that are causing that ire. D.A. Carson, writing an article titled The Outrage of Jesus, And he sets the table by teaching us how people used to mourn at funerals, because today it's pretty discreet, isn't it, in Western civilization? Not so back in the first century and in still some cultures today. Somebody dies, you know about it. It is not kept private. It is not a private function. The whole town can mourn. In fact, people would be hired to mourn, to the article, in the Jewish culture in the first century. They expressed grief with loud cries and wails. That's W-A-I-L-S, in case you were thinking about Jonah. They expressed themselves with loud cries and wails, often communally. In the first century, not only did the mourners themselves wail, but they hired professional mourners (laughs) to keep the noise and tears flowing. Man, that's fascinating, isn't it? That is so different than our culture. Now, I'm not saying which one is right or wrong. It's a cultural issue. But what what, is the, what would be the motivation that would keep that custom alive, even to this day? I think it's a way to show how much you cared about the deceased, 
I think it's a way to show that you honored them, that they are missing from our group, and that is a sad thing, that their death was a terrible loss, and they expressed it loudly. We're told these days to just stifle it, Edith. Back to the article. It was customary for even the poorest family to hire a minimum of two flute players and a professional wailing woman. That's from the Mishnah. They would hire the poor people. You got to hire somebody to play a little music and really weep loudly. The flute players would play dirges in minor keys to increase the solemnity and sadness of the occasion. And the professional wailing woman would increase the volume level every time it lowered. Whoa. Now, let's go to a particular funeral in the New Testament. Lazarus's family was not a poor family. It was a posh family with lots of money. Who knows how many musicians they hired? Certainly there was a lot of noise, and there were people that were gathered around that were wailing and making noise. But there's details in this story that are instructive for us. We see these mourners accompany Mary when she approaches him to say, could have been here a little earlier, Lord. And he sees and he hears those that came with her. They followed her around. Back to the article. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, this is noisy. Not a dab your tears sort of affair. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. What does that mean? He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. You probably think he was heartbroken, sad, mourning the loss of a young man. That, that, that's what the English translation seems to indicate. D.A. Carson emphatically says this is just a plain, flat-out mistake in translation. He's a serious Greek scholar. I would be inclined to give an ear to what he had to say about these words. It is flat out mistaken to say that Jesus was moved in spirit and troubled. It means actually he was outraged, not deeply moved. That's what the verb means whenever it is applied to human beings. So if you're a troubled individual, every time you're outraged. That's like, Anger squared, you're outraged. Interestingly, all the German translations have it right, and all the English translations have it wrong. Even the King James Version? (laughs) Jesus was outraged at the death of Lazarus. Why? Because he heard and he felt the pain of the people who were being affected by one of the consequences of sin, death. It is an intrusion into God's ideal economy. We want to be careful to imply that God was not aware that death was going to happen, that sin would not enter the world. He did. It was his prearranged plan to create a perfect planet that he knew would tumble into sin so that he could send forth a seed, a savior, a redeemer, to propitiate us, to buy us back, 
to the glory and renown of his name. So we don't want to talk about death like, well, it's an unwelcome visitor. Yeah, well, it's that. But it's it's it was also certainly in God's purview, that's what the doctrine of sovereignty would teach us, that there would be sin and death. Now, does that mean he's happy about it? Uh, Psalm 50 says, how precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of one of his saints. How precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of one of his saints. I think that's pretty close. Jimmy, you want to Google my paraphrase and see if I came warm on that one and what chapter and verse that is? Uh, yeah. Uh, God isn't thrilled about death. Like, yay, somebody died today. 100,000 people do that, by the way, every single day. You and I aren't going to escape that statistic. It'll be us one day. Actually, Todd, it'll be we. It's a predicate nominative. The point is you and I aren't going to escape death. And God isn't nuts about people dying because it's not the ideal. I think that's the better way to phrase it rather than, well, things were going swimmingly in the garden until Adam and Eve ate the honeycrisp apple and tumbled the whole world into sin. And now we just have to deal with it. Well, no, not exactly the way God's prearranged plan determined that death would enter the world. So we want to be careful with our phraseology, but we also want to be careful that we don't water down death. Jesus was outraged, outraged at it. Why was Jesus outraged? Back to the article. Why did he weep? Why these responses? It surely was not because he was powerless and frustrated. He was minutes away from raising him from the dead. Why, if it were just, oh, Lazarus is dead. He knows he's going to be walking again in moments. So it couldn't have been that. Nor is it simply that he misses his friend Lazarus because he was going to see him soon. Jesus is outraged not because he lost a friend, but because of death itself. Death is such an ugly enemy. It generates endless and incalculable anguish. Death is a mark of sin. And he was outraged at that. That's what righteous indignation is. It's not that. It's an inconvenience. I lost my Scrabble partner. No, this is death, sin. I hate it. I'm angry about it. That's what outrage entails, being angry about it. Jimmy, you get my Bible verse? I did. I yeah. did. How did I do? Yeah, you did good. You okay. did. It's uh, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Well, that was pretty good. Yeah. Psalm, not not Psalm bad for a colander head. Everything just <laughs> right out. Jesus is outraged at death. Death itself is nothing other than God's insistence that human hubris will go so far and no farther. It is God's judicial response to our warped rebellion. It is implacable. Ten out of ten die. Christians must adopt, this is Carson, must adopt something of this same stance toward death. There is a school of thought in Christian circles that almost views death so much as a blessing that you're not allowed to cry. No, it, it, it isn't something that's, oh, happy day. It is a sad day. And yet we mourn without hope. 
Death is an enemy and it can be nasty. It doesn't play by the rules. Death is not normal when you look at it from the vantage point of what God created in the first place. It is normal this side of the fall, but that is not saying much. It's an enemy. It is ugly. It destroys relationships. It is to be feared. It is repulsive. There is something odious about death. Never, ever pretend otherwise. May I ask you, how do you mourn at funerals? This is a surprising way to express outrage because you'd think that it should just be aimed at a fallen and corrupt culture. Oh, that's true too. But we should be outraged because of what death represents. Do you? This is Wretched Radio. 200, that's right, 200 Tomorrow Clubs are now up and running again in Ukraine. That means kids are hearing the gospel, they're getting saved, their parents are getting saved, the church is getting strengthened. Not only are the Tomorrow Clubs busy preaching the gospel, they're also very busy helping people. This is our buddy Max in Ukraine. We have created the Ukraine Support Fund. Thanks to our partners, Tomorrow Clubs began immediate assistance to the network of the local church it became a safe place for thousands of refugees fleeing their devastated homes. Providing food, providing clothing, potable water, a safe place, communication. Would you please consider becoming a ministry partner of the amazing ministry called Tomorrow Clubs? You can learn how you could participate in the spreading of the gospel in Eastern Europe at tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Thank you for listening to Wretched Radio today. I could spend the next few seconds telling you things like Wretched Radio can be heard on over 800 radio stations or that the Wretched Radio podcast has had over 5 million downloads in the last year. Instead, I'll let you share things with more eternal value. The Lord has used his ministry to preserve me from false teaching as well as giving me a greater love for Jesus Christ and the truth. There is nothing more valuable than one person dead in their sin becoming alive in Christ. And we are truly humbled and grateful God uses knuckleheads like us, but we can't do it without your help. Would you consider and pray about partnering with us in our efforts to preach the gospel, equip the saints, and strengthen the local church? You can get all of the details you could ever need or desire on becoming a Wretched Gospel Partner at wretched.org slash donate. Wretched. Amazing grace. Amazing gospel. Like the Pointer Sisters, I am so excited and I just can't hide it. The Masters Academy International is embarking on a bold new program to distribute Bibles internationally. There are oh so many wretched people who love to give to ministries who are giving out Bibles. And the Masters Academy International is going to start doing just that in the Philippines. But they don't want to give out just any Bible to just anybody. They're going to give away John MacArthur Study Bibles to Christians who cannot afford them in a local Bible teaching church. Can you imagine the impact? How much do you love your MacArthur Study Bible? For $25, you could put a Bible into the hands of a believer in the Philippines. I'll do the math. It's not tricky. Four Bibles, $100. Maybe you could commit to giving a Bible a month to a believer in the Philippines. Please visit wretched.org slash Bible, wretched.org slash Bible to join the Master's Academy International. Titles of Christ 
In the Bible, Jesus is given many titles that teach us about who He is and what He has done. Jesus is called our Passover. During the first Passover, God spared those whose doors were covered with the blood of a lamb. When we trust in Christ, we are covered by His blood so that we are spared from God's wrath. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Sorry, not sorry. This is Wretched Radio. Apparently, that's the lingo that people use these days. When they do something, they know it's wrong, and they want to express that I'm aware of what I'm doing isn't ideal, but I'm not really sorry about it. Sorry, not sorry. There's a commercial about that. I have no idea what it's about. It's that woman who always plays such a funny character. She's playing at the piano. Have you seen it? Do I remember the product? No. But she's basically singing Sorry Not Sorry. It had something to do with the holiday season, not Christmas, but the holiday season. So for this, what you're about to hear, I'm sorry, not sorry. Are we watching the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston? No, we're going to church. One of my favorite hymns. We play it here regularly. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. It is a rich and deep theological hymn. It is profound with with musings about the work of Jesus Christ and what he is accomplishing. In other words, it raises your eyes up. And a fellow sent in a version that he thought was really good. Well, guess what? That sent me down a rabbit hole of looking at all the different ways that people have performed the church's one foundation. This one comes from Grace Community Church. Now, ask yourself a question about this music. Before the congregation even sings the church's one foundation, for whom is that music? I'll bet if I didn't tell you that it was the introduction to a hymn, you'd go, um, royalty, perhaps, somebody important, a dignitary, uh, God, exactly. I recognize the Grace Community Church in Los Angeles. Wow, they've got a lot of gifted people there because they've got a lot of people there. It's my understanding that people from the Los Angeles Symphony are members of the church and that's why you're hearing like, whoa, this is a full-blown deal here. It's I, I'm, I'm looking at the video. It's big stage with lots of people on it, instruments, a conductor. And you might say, well, then we don't need to strive for this as a church. And I recognize different cultures, customs, and music. But if you can't do a full-blown orchestra like this, it seems to me that when we play our music, it should sound like it is aimed at glorifying God. That does not mean it has to be an orchestra. It should be a pipe organ, but that personal preference aside, it should say to those who eavesdrop, huh, they're singing about something or someone very important here because that music isn't ordinary. Be careful that your worship music, don't want to make a law where there is no law, but if it sounds just like everything you hear on the local Christian music station that plays pop music, be careful that you aren't becoming a common worship service. Music should speak something even without the lyrics. It should say we are doing our absolute best with the limitations that we have, with the personnel that we possess, 
and with the number of congregants who attend here. We're doing our best to make this sound otherly. That's some robust singing. Do you notice the same thing that I notice? Are you listening carefully to this? Who's leading the singing here? I wonder what the what the gender makeup of Grace Community Church is. They only have two at their church. <laughs> That's what the Bible teaches. It's it's the men that typically are the minority, and it's women that are typically the majority. I wonder if they've got more men than women at that church, or at least 50-50, because statistically in evangelical Christianity, and this has been historic really since the Industrial Revolution, think 1680 to 1720, women increasingly were the major participants in the local evangelical church, and music was written for them, sermons were aimed and directed at them, and that trend has not changed. I wonder if it's different at Grace Community Church. And even if it isn't, listen to who's leading the singing it's men. I can hear the men. That makes your heart sore, doesn't it? And it tells the world, we worship an exalted one. We worship a high and holy one. We worship one who is infinitely grand in every correct capacity and yet stoops to know us. Who has suffered alongside. He led the way in suffering. That's our God, and our music should reflect him. And it might be a banjo. Seriously, it could be a banjo. It it could be just a piano, whatever it is, because you you shouldn't say this is the stand. Everybody needs to sound like this. No, we gave that a go in like the 90s, didn't we, when everything was a cassette tape? The worship, there was no band. You played the cassette so that you could sound like Sandy Patty when you sang along with the music? Well, you don't have to sound like an orchestra, but I do think we should be striving to at least be otherly. We're not singing about politics here. We're not singing about a politician here. And by the way, speaking of singing about politics, (laughs) did you see Ken Copeland's prayer at a Donald Trump rally? Well, that's about as close as you're going to get to the intertwining of church and state, if you consider him a part of the church. And he made a classic error. Let's see if you can pick it up. I'm going to paraphrase Ken Copeland. Every four seconds, I would say, pick it up. Stop pausing. Get, Get to it, man. At any rate, Ken Copeland was invited by Donald Trump. Donald Trump called him a great man to the podium. And he did a little preamble that George Washington, quoting Deuteronomy, I can't remember chapter and verse, said that we are, by the way, the quote is the children of Israel 
making a profession of faith as a part of the Mosaic Covenant. You're our God. We are your people. You've given the rules. We're going to obey them. So George Washington apparently wrote that in a letter or gave it at a speech. I can't recall. And Ken Copeland said, and that's still true today. You're our God. We are your people. Can you say that at a political rally? I don't think so. I think the only place that those words could be uttered is in a Christian family or at a Christian church. It was a classic replacement theology expression that we could, we're just interchangeable with Israel. If God said something good about Israel, we'll nab that. If we like a principle that happens to work for our agenda, we'll do that. That's not the way it works. The church is not Israel. The church is a new creation. Hey, that kind of reminds me of a song. Her charter of salvation, one Lord, one faith, one birth. I don't know why, but somehow a big evangelical church popped up in my feed. And I went, I wonder what they're doing church like at, at this big traditional southern church. And the woman, there was a woman leading the worship and she looked super cool in her jean jacket. And she was about 40 years old. And she sang, oh, I'm going to have to paraphrase it, but you'll get the point. I I know I'm going to make it through because I am standing on you. Oh, really? Really? Her charter of salvation, one Lord, one faith, one birth. Everything we need to fulfill the commission he has provided with every grace and dude. Do you, did you know that word in dude existed? <laughs> it's not D-U-D-E. It's E-N-D-U-E-D. High, lofty. We can do better than sounding just like some sort of popular worship and knockoff, which ugh, so worldly. And I'm not saying this because I'm a fuddy-duddy. I am a fuddy-duddy. I grant you that. But we're, we need to remember the subject, the object of our worship. He's not common. He is exalted, and our worship should reflect it. Until tomorrow, go serve your king. <laughs>